Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Get In Podcast, presented by Fourth and Dude, brought to you by EagleInsider.com and Armchair Media, Season 4, Pit Week. Moral victories don't show up in the standings, but the Eags left Saturday's 26-22 heartbreaker to the 12th-ranked Tar Heels with an awful lot to build on. Phil Dracovich and Hunter Long continue to light it up in the passing game. The D continues its massive turnaround from last year, and Coach nearly pulled another rabbit out of his half in the closing minutes. On today's episode, we'll recap the first loss of the Halfley era, catch up with our pal and former BC safety Sean Sylvia, and break down what the Eags must improve on ahead of a humongous matchup versus the Pitt Panthers this weekend. Matt, what a what a tough game Saturday was. It's painful because of how close we were and how many opportunities we had to beat a, a top 15 team that is now top eight, which is another story for another day that they are the most overrated top 10 team in the history of college football. But that's another story for another day. It's hard to not come out of that game feeling super optimistic, not only about the state of the of the season, uh, but really about the state of the program. I mean, I think every single game the rest of the way, I, I'm now more optimistic about our chance of winning. My win percentage went up than than what it was coming into Saturday and, and really after Texas State. Uh, before we get into everything again, like you said, a loaded episode and a lot to a lot to break down, especially on the X's and O's front. Uh, a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Bet Online. Matt, the wait is finally over. A triple header of fun is upon us this week. Football is in full effect with many teams strutting their stuff early, including the BC Eagles. The NBA Finals are here and the MLB playoffs are in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Armchair to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, before we get into it, too, I do, I, we, we need to apologize, I feel like, for our disappearing act last week. It was one of the bigger uh, games of the season, and I won't name names, but someone in the fourth and dude family was on the golf course for about 15 consecutive days, which uh, disabled us from, from bringing you all of our hard-hitting UNC analysis. Hey, listen, I cleared that PTO with uh, the, the HR department at fourth and dude. Everyone knew I was going to be off this week. I did volunteer some times. Uh, that I thought worked, but you couldn't make it happen. So I think we're mutually to blame for uh, okay. for the hiccup last week. All right, fair. And we won't let it happen again. How's that? Fair enough. And just to give our 30-second reaction, Texas State was a wild game. It was very uncomfortable and it should not have been that close. But the fact that we have, as we'll get into it a little bit later, the fact that we have a reliable kicker and a head coach that was able to bring us back and a quarterback that was able to bring us back from a 
double-digit deficit in the fourth quarter, regardless of the opponent, is an amazing breath of fresh air. And Matt, I think that does segue nicely into what we saw on Saturday. What I want to lead with, again, beyond the the heartbreak and the disappointment, is how nice it feels to to really truly never be out of a game. And we'll kind of go through the action as it occurred. But it, it did at no point feel like this game is over. I, I mean, including until up until they they gave us the 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 incorrect call on the onside kick recovery, which is another story for another day. But it really felt like we were in it throughout. And it is, I think, just refreshing as a fan to never, you know, have your Saturday ruined 20 minutes into the into the kickoff the way it was in, in years past. Yeah, you sort of get the feeling that with Halfley, we're going to be in every game, um, maybe, you know, save for Clemson. But even that, you know, we, that might be a game, at least more so than we've seen, certainly in the Adazio era. But no, you're exactly right. I mean, UNC certainly has... You know, they had a lot of offseason hype heading into this season, and a lot of that seems to be warranted, at least on the offensive side of the football. And we'll get into it, but, you know, this is a game where, you know, they easily hanged 60 on us last year. I don't think once we go down that our offense is able to get, you know, get going. And, you know, I think this is a game that we lose pretty handily last year. And it says a lot about what Halfley's been able to do in a short time on the Heights. Uh, with this team's resiliency, and we tend to get stronger as the game goes on, and and we'll get into all that. How Halfley's sort of a a mastermind when it comes to in-game adjustments. How uh, how our fourth we're just unbeatable in the fourth quarter. Um, obviously, it's problematic. We can't get it up going in the early going. But but with that, let's just let's get into the game recap. We'll just do a, a quick one here. You guys all saw the game. UNC got off to that quick start, right? So Sam Howell and he's got a ton of weapons. They put together a couple of very early, uh, very impressive touchdown drives, each of their first two possessions. And like I said, I mean, they, they looked like an absolute juggernaut early on offensively. The Eags answered back with a couple of uh, template drives of their own to get into UNT territory. Um, unfortunately, couldn't find the end zone. Instead, had to settle for a couple of field goals. Spoiler alert, that would come back to bite us. Midway through the second quarter, we had the Tar Heels pinned back on their own seven. Um, and, and Jamin Muse had a momentum-shifting play where he sidestepped the blocker, hit Howell's arm, and forced that huge interception by Brandon Sebastian. That would set up an easy David Bailey touchdown, made it a 14-13 ball game. UNC hit another couple of explosive plays late in the second for another touchdown, and then the Eags ran the one-minute trail to answer back with a field goal to go into halftime, down 21-16. to Matt, let's just get your halftime thoughts. Where were you? What were you thinking? you think we had any chance at, at halftime? And uh, what, what were your general observations at that point? Yeah, it was a real whirlwind, honestly, uh, because I, I feel like, you know, th- like you said, they put together some really good drives in the, in the first half. But all of those got to a third and, you know, at least, what, third and seven or, or, or more. And they were able to get out of it. So the way I looked at that was we know that Halfley is kind of the king of these halftime adjustments, pun fully intended, that – Really, if we could just get them off the field a couple of times, that would slow them down enough to allow our offense to get to work. And and, and spoiler alert, that's exactly you know what happened. Obviously, it wasn't quite enough. Um, you know, it was it was a tough way to go into half. I would say because of their miraculous touchdown, I'll, I'll call it uh, right before the half, or with about what was it about a minute left. Uh, we'll get more into the officiating in a little bit, but. Not that they necessarily should have caught it, but there was an illegal man about seven yards downfield. So, you know, no, they should have caught that. That was absurd, and that touchdown should not have counted. Uh, but on that drive alone, I think they also at one point got to like a second and 25 or something, or maybe it was a first and 25, and they ran for 26 yards. So there was a lot of defensive 
major missteps in that first half that, you know, we, I, I felt personally that if we could just clean up a couple of those, we'd be right back into it. Now, the other side of it is the offense, which really didn't do a whole lot in the first half. Um, like you said, again, not really able to convert and get the seven that we, that we needed a couple of times. One of those being the final drive um, as we went into halftime where, again, we had to drop touchdown in the end zone, which would have been an absolute you know, huge momentum play. But again, you know, not to just keep harping on this point, but it just feels so different than in years past where I don't think there's a single time in the, in the previous regime where we had the ball, you know, with, well, what was it? 70 yards to go in, in less than 90 seconds that we would have done anything except run it three times and, and hope they didn't call timeout. So really refreshing and excellent to see Jerko work in those situations. Again, it's, it's really hard to kind of separate how much th- this loss actually hurt versus how optimistic I'm still feeling, you know, from the good that we saw last weekend. Yeah, I'm with you. I think in general, offensively, there, there were a lot of missed opportunities, like you said. Um, we really only had nine points uh, on those field goals. You take away that touchdown that, that de- the defense set up, right? Right. So kind of underwhelming on the offensive side of the football. And obviously in college football, converting in the red zones, everything. And you can't leave points on the board uh, to that extent. On, on the defensive side, it's it's probably what we expected, right? I mean, UNC off, the UNC office is absolutely loaded. They got all ACC guys. You get Sam Howell, quarterback. Uh, you get that stud running back, and then they have like five wideouts that can that can you know cause a, a ton of damage. So you know you're probably disappointed in some of the big plays that that the UNC offense broke, and the the general inability to get off the field on third down. But otherwise, the D is doing enough, I thought, to give the offense a chance. And um, you know at halftime, I, I was thinking, you know, we got to make some serious adjustments on the offensive side of the football. The D hopefully can step up as well, but it's really the offense that's that's lagging behind. So as we get into the second half, Halfley does what he does and puts the clamps on the defense. Uh, the two sides trade punts back and forth, with the exception of a UNC field goal that resulted from just some of the worst penalty calls I've ever seen. There was three consecutive penalties that were absolute BS, in my opinion, Matt. Uh, I think two were on McDuffie, and then one was on uh, maybe Max Roberts for a late hit. But, you know, it was, it was getting to be a chippy game at that point. And I thought the refs, uh, you know, sort of overreacted there and, you know, ended up gifting 45 yards to, to the UNC offense. Yeah, I'll jump in. I'll jump in quickly on that. I think that uh, so two of them were on were on Roberts. But the the first one where basically it was a it was, a, you know, hog pile and he came and just kind of, you know, basically did a full like diving WWE move punch you know, on the ball was unnecessary. I do think the second one that he had the play immediately after that was very weak. Um, and I don't know if that call gets made, if it, you know, a wasn't the same player. And if it wasn't, you know, starting to get a little chippy. Yeah. He threw him down a little hard, but it wasn't really like way after the whistle wasn't a quarterback. So yeah, definitely agree in general. I, I think the game got a little bit ahead of the refs and, you know, as a rule, Matt, you and I, we never like to blame the refs. Let's make the plays ourselves, but it is hard not to admit that there is, Definitely some tobacco road home cooking going on here. And that's just, I think that the the, the folks down in, in Greensboro have to be absolutely thrilled that their darling program, UNC, is now finally, you know, having an excellent college football season. Obviously. And we, we are not blame the refs, guys, at all. We, like, you can go back to, I don't know, the Purdue game, the Rondell Moore ridiculous call. Like, that was two years ago at this point. We I don't think. blame the refs for the we end don't. of the Steve Adazio era. We're not going to do that. Unless... Unless it's absolutely blatant, we don't do that. But correct, um, there was a bunch of and the Eagles were, were penalized what twelve times or something ridiculous like that for 115 yards. I, I didn't think that all those were legitimate. I think we certainly have some some cleanup that we need to do, especially on you know the false starts and the procedural stuff. I think that stuff's a no brainer that that Halfley should be all over these guys this week. 
Um, but some of the, the, the chippy stuff, you know, I say let the guys play, but that's just me, Matt. I mean, and, and beyond letting the guys play, that the, the touchdown that was called back on the final drive, the, the one that I, th- I think it was two – it was on the, on the near side of the field, not the Jerko Big Ben where he shook like seven guys and had an amazing throw to Hunter Long, which was one of the cooler college football plays I've ever seen. But that was a, a clear hold. Um, this one was a terrible offensive pass interference call. It wasn't even like both guys are going at it. There was just no contact. The UNC defender just fell. Now, obviously, we, we you know managed to, to, to get back into it and it didn't really end up mattering that much. You could make an argument to have some extra time on the clock, et cetera. But uh, yeah, just overall, it was really, really, really weak. And it, you know, again, never blaming the refs, but it just felt like there were some people in the building who wanted UNC to be a top 10 team come Sunday morning. With you. Uh, So like you're saying that the, uh, once the Tar Heels took the lead, it was 24-16, there was six minutes to go. Jericho drives the Eags down the field and um, I think like you were saying, they got two or three touchdowns that were called back, take it off the board due to penalties. Uh, Jerk finally finds CJ Lewis in the back of the end zone and cut the lead to two with a minute to go. And then obviously we are unable to convert the, uh, the two point conversion. Jericho gets flushed out of the pocket, throws up a prayer, gets taken back to the house. And that's all she wrote. Um, so all in all, you know, certainly disappointing anytime you don't get a win. And, and, you know, that's one of those that, you know, if we have the kind of season that we think we're going to have and we'll be in the mix for that second place spot in the ACC, this is a game you kind of felt like you needed to have. You know that UNC is going to be in the mix with that offense, but a ton, a ton of positives, a ton to build on. And it's really, really impressive what Halfley's done in year zero with a shortened offseason. I think that's that's the biggest thing, you know, you know, as far as takeaways go. You really have to give all the credit in the world to the head coach for what he's done being on the Heights for, you know, the last eight, eight, nine months. Yeah, can't say enough good things. I think we can segue right into half full and half empty. Let's start with the half full because let's focus on the positive. There definitely is some half empties for us to for us to hit on, but no no sense in, in getting down right away. I'll let you talk about the defense, but that is, I think, by far our marquee half full. I'll start on a on a on a uh, separate uh, what do we call it separate phase of football. The special teams have been absolutely phenomenal under Jeff Halfley, and that was a huge problem for the entirety of the of the Daz era. Uh, but Boomeri is now all of a sudden like the best kicker in New England, which is actually not that far of a stretch because Nick Folk is terrible, and you know they could they could use I think Boomeri on Sundays there as well. Uh, but he hasn't missed a kick if I'm correct. I think we missed an extra point, but I don't think it was I think it was Longman. Obviously, he had the clutch kick at the end of the Texas State game, which is something we would never see in years past. And then he even had a couple massive ones last Saturday, including the one that curved about 30 yards. Looked a lot actually like your golf swing, Matt, which is fitting and a good segue from your time on the course last weekend, uh, but hooked right in. So absolutely excellent stuff out of him. And and again, really night and day on the punting as well. We're, we're, we're kicking the ball like 100, uh, 100 yards every time uh, Carlson steps up. So I don't know what why it was so difficult for our previous head coach to figure out the special teams, but Halfley's done it in about a half of an offseason. First off, you know I'm a slice guy. You know I go left to right. Good point. Um, but I do like that. I think that actually adds yards. At least that's what the, the golf pros yep. do. Like they it's put a, a little it's uh, just fade a fade. on it. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You got it, Matt. Um, I do think he had one blocked against Texas State, but we're not going to count that against them. So Boomeri, as far as the fourth and dude guys are concerned, is still perfect. Correct. No pressure there. Also, by the way, you and I have the best seats in the house when it comes to his field goals. Keep an eye out for that the next time balls are hit to the, I don't know if that would be the, the south or north or east or west, but the side that we beat Texas State on, Matt and Matt are are sitting there with our cutouts in, in position A. So shout out to our guy, Jay Bomb for the, uh, for the excellent be. ticket hookup. It's got to be J. Bob yep. working the match. I think that's the side close to the mods. Sounds about right. Yep, sounds there. about right. 
Um, like you said, you got to talk about this defense and it's official. You know, we, we went through the motions with Duke and, and Texas State and said, yeah, you know, our defense looks a lot better. But UNC's offense is the real deal. And if, like I was saying, if we faced these guys last year, they put up 50 plus in their sleep. You know, I think we all remember the Kansas game, right? We, we gave up 50, 567 yards and 48 points to Kansas. That turned out to not be a good football team, even though we hoped that they were going to be. To hold the Tar Heels to 401 yards and 26 points, that continues to say a lot about the job that half. And, and Tim Lukabu, um, who deserves a oh, ton of credit. I, I half, can't say enough good things about Tim. Absolutely love this guy. Half always does a great job calling him out. Is you know Tim's the guy's calling the plays, and I'm just there overseeing type of thing. So uh, you know we give both those guys such you know a ton of credit. BC is allowing 109 yards less per game than 2019, um, and have improved their total defense ranking from 125th nationally last year to 25th this year. Obviously, there's there's room for improvement. They gave up some big time you know chuck plays, especially in the run game. Uh, but I think that was sort of by design. I think we were willing to live with that if it meant keeping Hal around the 200-yard mark. Uh, we had another four sacks, which brings our total to 11, good for 12th in the country. Three games in, Matt, and we're just five sacks shy of our 2019 season total, and it's all the big playmakers that are coming alive. Valdez, um, McDuffie had one, of course. He, he was making a living in the backfield. This kid, Max Roberts from Maine, has been a godsend. He's, I mean, he had the sack plus the forced fumble. Barlow and Ram teamed up for, for another sack. And then, you know, really the biggest thing is what they do in the second half. Just five points allowed in the second half. All, two, two of them were on the two-point conversion. And then the other three were that, were that BS from the penalties, as we previously discussed. They went from allowing seven for eight on third down conversions in the first half to 0 for four in the second half. UNC didn't convert on third down in the second half. Um, and there's just, there's just something about this team that steps up in the second half. And maybe it's conditioning. Maybe it's, you know, timely, sensible substitutions early on in the game that keeps everyone fresh. Maybe it's just the Halfley effect, but we win every single ha- second half that we play, and we win the fourth quarter by a billion. So obviously, we can keep that up. The sky's the limit for this team. If there is one criticism, it's you got to get out to a faster start. But you know, you got to like they close the game strong, especially on the defensive side. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think that that is a part of the frustration with with this game. You know, as well, I, I think I tweeted it uh, at halftime. I said basically, if we can get them off the field with no points on the, on the first drive of the second half, we're going to win this game running away. And I, I firmly believe that. And the defense did enough to step up and the offense again, looked, looked fine, right? Like there were no major, major flaws yeah. with the offense. I mean, sure. We can talk about the, the entire run game, run game and we can talk about a couple of drop passes, but it's not even a game that like, I can really be frustrated with a particular unit or, or a particular player. It, it was, we kind of just did all the right things. We were just a little too late on the defensive side of the ball and just a couple of small mistakes. I mean, I think really if you go through and you look at some of the drop passes or some of the third downs in the first half, if we just flip like one or two of those in our direction, I mean, you could obviously add the two-point conversion, which was, a, I think, a not the best play call, which uh, I don't know if you want to touch on that at all. But I think if you flip just even like one or two of these plays in our favor, we win this game. And, and you know, I said it after the game immediately, but if, if we had a seven-game series with these guys – I mean, I would bet the house that that we end up coming out on top. Um, so yeah. it's it's frustrating in in that sense, but you know, again, it's early on enough in the in the you know year that I think it's it's more of the the optimistic uh, taste is coming to the top. Yeah, I think it's a good point, and I think it's it's rare, at least in the Daz era, where we would say, you know, if we had more time, we would have won that game, right? Usually with Daz, if we had built a lead. It's just running out the clock and, and just hoping that, that the, the clock gets to zero before you, you, know, you know blow the lead. In this case, it's it's sort of like, you know, it's because we, we you know finish so strong. But you get the sense that, 
if we just had more time, then we would have beat these guys by a billion. You know, we, we had all the momentum going into that second half. That was, you know, much, much in part thanks to our defense. I do think you're being a little too soft on the offense. It, despite racking up 300-plus passing yards, our offense still can't sustain drives consistently. And I do think that starts and ends with the running game. And I'll just get into my half empty here. And I don't know the best way to frame this, who I'm mad at, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's the running backs. I don't think that's it. Whether it's Coach Signetti for you know maybe having a, a too predictable play call. I don't think it's that either. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like we know that it's not the line. We know it's not the running backs because we know these guys are supremely talented. Like, well, you got to blame someone, man. Well, so I, I mean, the I, blame guy? I, I don't know. Can we? Can we? I think I got an answer. Okay. Because for the record, I actually think Signetti called a good game. I, I did not like his game uh, against Texas State until the fourth quarter, and I didn't like his game against Duke except for the second half. I think he was pretty solid across the board, and I think with Jerkovic, like he, he's pulling it off. It's not even like he's calling a, a game well, that only works if we have a good quarterback. Like Jerko is putting us in a position to win these games, as is, I think, Signetti with the offensive call. So I'm not even negative on on him, frankly, but I do want to hear your escape code here. Well, no, I, I just I think if we're going to be a fair and balanced podcast, you, you got to you got to point fingers at people. I agree. That, I agree. Um, you know, are causing the problems, and don't don't you get the sense that if Phil Jerkovic wasn't on this Phil Jerkovic wasn't on this roster, that we would might we would very easily be zero three. Yeah. I get the sense yep. that that you know he's bailed Signetti out of a lot of you know, somewhat bland play calling that the defense has been all over for the most part. And, you know, I, I think a big you know, reason for that is our inability to get the run game going. We talked about it after the Duke game. We know that the offensive line coach, Matt Applebaum, implemented a, a zone blocking scheme. And in doing so, they moved a bunch of guys around. And now, you know, it was a top five unit of the country. Can't stop a nosebleed, right? Yeah. They can't open up any holes in the run game. Uh, you know, we see five to ten plays a game where – Defenders are just coming in un- unmarked, unguarded, and whether that's execution by the players or you know inability to understand the system and where they're supposed to get to, which by the way would be pretty reasonable since you know, given the shortened off season and the fact that these guys played man, man, man blocking their whole life and now they're being forced to, to execute a new scheme. But unfortunately, I sort of get the sense that the coaches got to get, and I want to talk to Sylvie about this too. I sort of get the senses that the coaches are saying, you know, we're going to stay the course till this thing works. We know that's going to take some time for this O line to adapt, and until that happens, we're going to stick to our passing game because that's at least somewhat working. But it's putting a lot of pressure on Djokovic. It's putting a lot of pressure on Hunter Long, who got targeted 18 freaking times, and I think it's a big source of our problems in the red zone. And so for all those reasons, I, I think it has to do with the O line, not the players. I think it has to do with the scheme that we're that we're really asking a lot of these guys. And between the position changes, and it's a big ask to say, hey, I know you guys are used to blocking a man, but now you guys get got to get to a zone, protect a zone. And it seems like defensive coaches are teeing off on us a little bit. Yeah. So that's where I'm putting the blame. I think the coaches need to make it a priority this week or else and we'll get into pit, but they're going to make us pay. Yeah. It's going to be a good test to figure out just how good Halfley is on the offensive side of the ball. I know he's a defensive guy, but he's also the head coach. And if things aren't working offensively, then he's the guy to blame. So it starts with him. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I'm, I am looking forward to getting Sylvia's thoughts on that, which segues into let's wrap this up in a couple of minutes and then we'll uh, we'll get our guy Sean on to talk even more. UNC recap, kind of what he's seen throughout the year and what he expects to see going forward. Um, Matt, I'll end with my with my due to the week here. 
So I'm doing kind of a combo, but really I'm, I'm going to single out the, or double out, I guess, the Hunter Long revenge game and the reaction from Halfley getting his team rallied and fired up. So I, I thought it was a clean hit on Hunter Long uh, that would have been in the, I guess it was in the first quarter, where uh, Jerko didn't leave him out to dry by any means, but we were driving nicely. Yeah. It was... He kind of threw a duck over the maybe, middle, right? Maybe. And he got absolutely cracked in the ribs. It looked really bad. He was down immediately. At, on review, I think it was a clean hit. He didn't really leave with the head. Um, it was pretty much shoulder to ribs, but I thought for sure the way he was down, the way he wasn't moving, that it was you know a broken rib or, or worse. So I will say, first of all, his his revenge game coming out and then still having a monster game. This guy is like, we said this every week now, he's legitimately the best tight end in the country, one of the best receivers in the country, and I think could very well, if he decides to declare, be starting somewhere on Sunday's next year. Uh, but the second piece of this I loved was Halfley yelling from the sideline, both to the UNC guys as well as to his guys to basically rally them up something along the lines of, you know, we got a we got a guy down and they're cheering, kind of trying to rally his troops. And it worked. I think they they definitely look fired up. And, and you know, they I think it did, you know, definitely give them the motivation they needed throughout the rest of the game. So this guy's just like an all time leader. Uh, if you want to just go through the books of history, I think like you could put him right there at the top in terms of good leaders, knowing how to fire up his guys and really get the most out of his team. So I, I know we're. I, we're, we're probably not, you know, we're, we're, we're being a little too fanboy, uh, so to speak, but I just can't say enough good things about Jeff Halfley, and I'm so happy that he is our head football coach. I'm with you. No disagreements from me, Matt. Um, anytime the, the, you have the, the coach sticking up for the players, and, and I, I tweeted out that, uh, you know, Denny Grissel and I think it was Bryce Sebastian that were on the sidelines during the Texas State game, giving the defenders sort of, sort of you know, the business after they hit uh, Jericho late, or it was Travis Levy late. I love that these guys are, are accountable for each other and sticking up for each other. It says a lot about the locker room that, that you know, he's built in such a short time. And right. I think that's that's another testament to that. I'm with you there, Matt. My dude of the week, Isaiah McDuffie. Of course. What an absolute animal this guy is. He finished with 12 tackles. He had a sack, uh, two or three QB hurries. He now leads the ACC in solo tackles. But that doesn't even do it justice. And you guys are all, you know, watching him on tape, too. He, that guy, is everywhere. I don't know that I've seen this type of athleticism mixed with just sheer football instincts since, and I, I don't want to, you know, say this, but since Luke Keekley. Like, he is Keekley esque in his ability to get to the football, and he hits harder than Luke. Um, and he's not perfect, and he makes some mistakes, but I think that's because he is just so fast, and he's, you know, he's zooming around the field, and, you know, he got some criticism for some missed tackles, but um, I think it's, and I saw this on one of the message boards, a good comparison. It's sort of like how, you know, a really good shortstop, Omar Vizquel, you know, might make some errors because he has incredible range, whereas Derek Jeter, you know, d- barely makes any errors because he can't get to any, any ground balls. It's kind of like that. Like, we're going to take whatever mistakes uh, those are because McDuffie is just his range is incredible and he and you know he saved countless big plays and yeah looking forward to the tandem of him and Richardson uh, the rest of the season it's going to be special yeah they're 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 pretty lethal I will definitely say that having McStuffie back I know we talked about it like a bunch last year we we're like what if we this defense ever got healthy and I think a lot of us kind of looked at it as as you know Dad's falling back to that injury excuse. But I think that it's hard to ignore with with McDuffie that this team is just different when he's out there. So um, hard agree on that. Matt, let's uh, let's get back to Sylvia here. We again, like I said, he's going to you know give us a lot of good X's and O's breakdown of what we saw again out of UNC in the start of the year. Before we get to Sean, 
Again, quick reminder from our friends at Bet Online: we have a triple header of huge action this week. We've got football in full swing. We've got the NBA Finals in full swing. We've got the MLB playoffs in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still get in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Armchair to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And Matt, again, they're back. The presenting sponsor of the Sean Sylvia segment. Is it Manscaped? It is Manscaped. It is Manscaped. Matt, 2020, as we know, has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing you can control, and that is keeping yourself looking sleek and clean down low. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light, so you can manscape in the dark or in a shower. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. This is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. On the website, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. This will help you tame that fall swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products today. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code armchair. What are you waiting for? Matt, go whack your weeds. I love their new tagline there. Um, (laughs) And with that, we welcome back our good friend, former BC legend, Sean Sylvia. Sean, it's been a while. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I've been on a little hiatus, had a couple weddings, uh, showers, just, just all the adulting activities. On the weekends. That's good. I'm glad to hear uh, COVID has not slowed uh, slowed life in the South down too much. It really hasn't. Um, but uh, yeah, the bars are open and college football is upon us, especially with the SEC in full tilt. Everything is pretty is pretty fired up around here, especially with the dogs being the way they are. So Absolutely. All right. Well, no one knows defense better than you, especially at some of the challenges that come with playing ball at the Heights. And um, I think we all saw the defense last year. We'll get into the details here, but but give me your initial thoughts on the job that Jeff Halfley's done on turning around this defense, uh, going from 125th ranked total D last year to 25th ranked this year um, through the first three games. What are you seeing? What do you like? Um, can they keep it going? And and just what are you, what are your general thoughts here? Yeah, I think I think honestly the the ceiling's really high for this defense. Um, in the first couple of games, I just feel like it took a while to get going, which is not really like them. Uh, our defense usually is is you know always attacking always pretty much setting the t- setting the tone for the game um i would argue that you know the offense right now is um kind of putting us in a lot of good spots i also do think that there like i said before there is a lot of room for improvement but i think as far as like the spirit of performance is what defines acura and now it's electric introducing the zdx acura's most powerful suv yet Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. 
We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You know, being on script and uh, all the pressures they're dialing up, when to pressure, when not to pressure. It looks pretty good. Coach Lukabu. Is it Lekabu or Lukabu? We get we this. It's Lukabu. I think it's Lukabu, but we get this one wrong Lukabu. probably more than we get your COVID wrong. So. Well, he's <laughs> he's he's absolutely excellent. I, w- I was listening to a couple things with Coach Halfley's press conference, and he's given him pretty much full leeway to go ahead and call plays. Obviously, they discussed the game plan, but whatever he has going on, dialing up pressures, there was there were so many points in that game where he just called the right defense. I just think the sky's the limit with this team, and he's taking a very he's taking a very pedestrian defense from last year with the addition of a couple of you know key guys. Um, I think our D line is is vastly improved, but um, for the most part, kind of the same dudes. And mm-hmm. re- I mean. Like you said, 25th in the country, that's nothing to sneeze at. So I'm very happy with how they're playing. I just wish 
they would come out a little faster sometimes. And there, there's a couple, you know, there's a couple key drives in that game where we're just giving up too much on first down. You know, we're not getting off the field. You know, that that happens in the end of the season. But you know, if you want to beat an elite team and if you want to beat a team like UNC, you're going to have to get off the field. Right. I remember over the summer you you said you know you, you described what it was like playing for Don Brown and you said it's all about just you know attacking right it's kind of that attack first mentality which we didn't see a lot last year right it, it was kind of you know hanging back waiting for the offense to do something and then reacting as opposed to you know proactively getting after him um, are you seeing that with with, with Halfley's scheme this year obviously I, I, he always like you said he has the magic touch especially in the second half. Um, once he's seen these guys in action and he's always able to dial up the right pressure, whether it's five guys, you know, whether it's, it's, you know, only centering at three or four guys, but also, you know, making sure that the D backs are in the position that they need to be. It, it, it seems to be playing complimentary football between the D line and the secondary with the linebackers just chasing down everything in between. Would you compare it to Don Brown or how would you compare and contrast that? Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, just watching the scheme right now, it's a little bit less aggressive. You no, know, is that a bad thing? No. You know, Coach Brown has a very aggressive style, but it's just like a riverboat gambler. I mean, you go ahead and dial up, you know, five, six, seven guy pressure, zero blitzes, you're bound to give up something and you're really putting a lot of trust on the back end. I mean, with high risk, it's high reward, but I just like kind of what I'm seeing out of this defense and what they're calling and the certain certain points, they are a little conservative. I feel like they do kind of tiptoe you know, to start off games instead of just being on the offensive. And, and I just feel they could be a lot more aggressive to start off the game. Mm-hmm. The halftime adjustments are bar none awesome. You, you can tell if there's a whole new defense out there. But with that being said, I, I just feel like we should be a little bit more on the offensive, on defense, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think that we could, we could push the pace a little bit more. I think we can go ahead and just, I wouldn't say dial up more blitzes, but I think just just playing, just how we play in the second half, but we need to start out like that. Yeah. There's so many times where we're just, where we're, we're lost on a gap or we're one down on a run. I mean, you, you can't be first. And what really, really, really upset me last game was, you know, on penalties or, or whatever. I mean, we first in 25 and they're running the ball for 23 yards. I mean, you just can't do that. In those situations, you need to get off the field. You need to put your offense back on the field, not only for our sake, but for your sake. You don't want to be on the field that long. Uh, coming from a person that's <laughs> been 100 plays on defense more more than once in his career, <laughs> um, being on the <laughs> being on the field that long is not fun. Um, you need to get more three and outs. Um, but I think what happens is they do they do kind of calm down. They kind of in the flow of the game they 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 build confidence. I just I just don't know where that confidence is to start out the game and just pin your ears back and go because I feel like they just wait for. They're very reactionary to start the game, maybe, you know, first, second quarter versus really going out there and, and, you know, imposing your will on the other team. I think they can do that a little bit better instead of just waiting for the second half. So that brings up a a good question kind of on the halftime adjustment side of it. Is this just the players are getting comfortable throughout the course of the game or is Halfley completely changing the defensive game plan? Like, what does that look like from a coaching perspective when, frankly, we do look like a different defense in the second half for the first three games? I think it could be a combination of both. I think he is such a uh, cerebral coach. And the same with the defensive corner, Lakabu. I just love the spots and where he's calling certain pressures. I think maybe dialing those up to start the game would be a little... I think we do kind of play a little bit on our heels 
to start off games. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what the game plan is. It could, like I said, it could be a little bit of both. To be honest, it could, you know, maybe the guys are going out there and just feeling out what their opponent's like and just really coming within themselves and, and playing better. Is that a scheme thing? Maybe, but those DBs made some really, really good plays by themselves and um, really getting put on an island and really showing up, making some big PBUs. Yeah. You know, going up, covering a lot of ground. Now, North Carolina's receivers are pretty good now, and they were step for step with them all game. Um, that quarterback, I thought they contained for the most part. There were some plays where he got, you know, a little extended some plays, and that's kind of where he killed us. And that game was there for the taking. And I mean, it, you know, d- as far as defensively, I thought we played overall, you know, a B plus, A minus game. I just think we have. We're leaving way too much meat on the bone, and we're not really, you know, as as Donnie Brown would say, just like really letting it loose and re- really, you know, cutting it loose. Right. I just think the guys are always they're playing to see like, okay, what's this game going to be like? What are they going to do to attack us? Instead of being like, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and do this, and you're going to react to us. You know. Mm-hmm. It's funny too. You listen to Halfley and these pressers, and um, maybe part of it's just giving the credit to all the guys, but when he gets asked about schematically what's different this year compared to last year he doesn't get into it he just says hey listen we simplified it we want the football we we recruited you know really good guys we have a lot of good skill players especially in the secondary and it's about simplifying it whereas last year it seemed like bill sheridan sort of maybe overthought it and was trying to implement a system that didn't match the personnel or or didn't match any type of you know successful football team um, but, you know, we we're talking about it, you know, what this team would have done last year against this UNC offense. It's extremely potent. You know, they gave up 48 points to Kansas. You know, you extrapolate that and UNC is going to score 60 on you. So I'm with you that overall, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with the defense, especially with what they did, you know, what they showed us last year with largely the same personnel. And it is a lot of young guys back there, especially in the secondary. And then, you know, it, it's like you said, it's not like we're getting a ton of pressure up front. We have a couple guys that are popping off the film with Val- Valdez seems to be back there quite a bit. This new kid, Max Roberts, and then McDuffie and Richardson are, are, are you know, certainly contributing as well. But, um, you know, Hal had some time back there to, to make some throws. And I thought the secondary did, did a great job overall of always being in the right position, save for a few of those big plays. Uh, more than anything, it was it was stopping the run. And, you know, it seemed like there were some outside lanes that, that whether the DNs weren't keeping contained. That seemed to be more the problem than, than the passing game. Um, but overall, I was, I was really happy with, with how the D played. I, I do think that they're going to have, you know, additional tests uh, coming up against, against you know, even against Pitt this weekend uh, with a mobile quarterback. And we saw that Hal scampered away a couple times. So, you know, that's something they got to look at. But I think you're right. Overall, you know, it, it just seems to be a simplification of scheme as opposed to anything else that's doing the trick. Let's So let's pivot to the other side of the ball, Sean. I would love to get your thoughts on, on what we're seeing out of the offense so far this year. I know that you were super high on, on Jerko uh, once we got the recruit, and I think that's been – clearly proven to be the correct opinion. Um, I know you were you were on with us preseason when other Matt was was saying that he thought this was Denny Grissel's job to lose, and he looks like an idiot. I think we all can agree on that. Um, Jerko is the real deal. What are you seeing out of the offense? We'll start with the positives because there definitely are some negatives to hit on, but we'd just love to get your thoughts uh, on that side of the ball first and foremost. I just think you're just seeing a more of a pro-style, more balanced approach to the game, not as predictable. Now, whether that's helping us or hurting us, I believe it's definitely, definitely helping us. This, this Jericho kid's the real deal. At times, I feel like he does try to do too much. But, you know, 
as quickly as I say that he's scampering around and, you know, breaking tackles, he's, he's scrambling and, you know, he had a touch, couple of touchdowns called back, but he really made that all happen by himself. The offensive line is too absolutely. And, and I don't, I don't know what's going on there because I've never been so wrong in my life to be like, this is a good experienced group up there. They're going to move people. They're going to be very, very good in communication. I don't know if it's a lack of, Maybe a lack of one-on-ones. I don't exactly know what's going on. If it's a communication thing, if it's a schematics thing, if it's a blocking assignment thing, they just look lost out there. Um, and from an you know experienced group, I think they have like three preseason. Um, four. All ACC got four. Okay. I don't know if they're right now in their own heads. I don't know if they're reading their own press clippings. You know what I think it might be? Not, not, to, not to cut you off. You know, what, you know what I think it is? And, and you, can tell me, you can tell me how wrong this is. I think that, you know, what they decided to do, we were talking about the, a little bit of this uh, beforehand, but, you know, I think what they decided, they committed to do a zone blocking scheme. They don't have the personnel to do that. And we have some of the best offensive linemen that are built for man blocking. And instead of saying, all right, let's let it play out for one season, Halfley saying, listen, we did zone blocking at Ohio State. We did it at, at you know, the 49ers offense. We're going to be a zone blocking team. Signetti's done that as well. And I, I think they're, they've sort of, they're thinking this is year zero and we're not going to, you know, stray away from what we want our philosophy to be, even though we have, you know, what should be one of the greatest lines, you know, in, in recent BC history. And as a result of that, we don't have a run game and we stall in the red zone because we're one dimensional. And if I'm Halfley and, and, you know, the message boards are all saying this too. I mean, what, why aren't we just flipping Zion back to guard? Why aren't we going back to the man's, the man blocking scheme and, you know, why can't this, this O-line get back on track to what it was doing last year? I think you're, I think you're absolutely onto something. And for someone uh, who claims to be only a, uh, whatever, peewee high school football guy. Very, <laughs> don't, you know, don't, very, don't give him uh, that. Don't pump his tires. That's the last thing he needs right give, now. Hey, I got to give it to him. I got to give it to him. Appreciate it, Sean. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think you're right on both. I, I think that you're onto something for both things. You know, first thing, I think changing up, the you know whole dynamic the offensive line you know moving with a zion to tackle i think that definitely he's not as comfortable out there you can see it i mean it's just, he's just not as comfortable whether he's hearing something from you know pro scouts people in the pros where his offensive line at you know what they're you know what they need to be doing at that level to succeed zion's gonna have to learn if he wants to go play in the next level how to do a zone blocking scheme because the majority of the teams up at that level do it it requires a lot more thinking. It requires a lot more feel, a lot more like bang, bang type things. You know, you're, you're pretty much just going up. And as the play progresses, you know, you just say you're doubling a tackle. If the linebacker is slow to go ahead and scrape, you're pretty much like staying on that double team to create that lane. If the linebacker, you know, scrapes over the top, you're, you're pretty much peeling off and going up to the next level. It's very difficult. <clears throat> in the college ranks to do it you have to have an extremely full line i don't know if the kids necessarily can't do it i just don't think they have the reps at it i mean so you know you're taking kids that are juniors and seniors and they're pretty much just as good as freshmen with this new in this new scheme it's a whole new playbook it's whole new looks i mean people line up too differently but if halfway saying here this is what we're going to do and, and this is your best way to go ahead and be successful with the next level then 
we're going to have to take our growing pains with that. And it's not just an offensive line thing. It's a, it's a running back thing mm-hmm. because when you're, when you're in more of a gaps game, you're hitting, you know, right off tackle or you're getting up in there in like a gut or like a counter tray or like hammer that we used to run. You're pretty much slated at certain landmarks. And these guys don't really have to think and look at holes and, you know, have now with its own blocking scheme, they give you kind of more of a, of the uh, liberty to go ahead and, and cut something back if they want to, or take it, you know, to the edge or, or kind of just feel out where the, where the soft spot is. And I don't think it just looks like our running backs don't really know exactly what that entails. It takes a special back to do that. Right. You know, because I mean, look at one of our best backs in history. I mean, Andre Williams would have suffered in his own blocking scheme. Right, and, and Bailey's very much from that mold, and and he was a he's a bowling ball. He what he did well last year was get the ball, hit the hole hard, and he was gone. Right, and it's because these guys opened up holes. He's not a Le'Veon Bell type guy where he's going to get the ball, hang out behind the line of scrimmage for three seconds, and then pick a hole. I mean, that takes years and years to learn that. Right, so when you combine that with the shortened preseason, I think that you know Halfley probably should have foreseen that. I don't know if he's if they're just being hard headed and saying we're going to stick with it and it's year zero, but. You know, if we, we're in a position to win football games now. And I think, I think, you know, someone, and I'm not pointing fingers, but someone deserves some criticism for, uh, for not seeing that coming and not making the adjustments three games in. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. But at the, at the same token, we are putting up numbers and we're putting up, mm-hmm. you know, but as, uh, as a great coach Adazio once said, like, it doesn't matter if you, you know, if you're putting up 400 yards on the ground. I mean, you, you know, yards are yards and points are points. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think I just think we can be a little bit more efficient in the run game. I'm not saying blow it all up and go ahead and, and just be and just be hard at it like that. Maybe mix in a couple of you know gap type schemes. But then again, I mean you're, you're still you know Zion's still a tackle and and mm-hmm. you know the inside guys filling inside and Vrabel's still worried. I, I just think the guys just need to figure <laughs> the guys need to figure it out and yeah. you know it's it's tough. Because in, on one hand, our running game is struggling, but our passing game is ha, has totally, totally benefited. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing that I'm, the only thing about the old line that that they need to get, you know, strained out is we can't be having, you know, Jerko running around like that. Yeah. And we can't, you know, because God forbid something happens right. to him or he gets hurt or because he's taking a lot of shots already in the first three games and we're not really protecting him that well. I would maybe like to see a little bit more of, you know, sprint him out and get like a flood type thing going, you know, do just do something that where he's not just dropping back and running for his life. But that needs to be cleaned up. I mean, it's already week three. We've pretty much seen every look, not every look, but kind of what the speed of the game is, what guys are trying to do to us. So we need to figure out, we need to figure out exactly how teams are trying to attack us and, and help these poor linemen out as much as possible. You know, a hundred longer is more of a, receiver for us but you know maybe get a get a chip from him here and there and like maybe delay something but we need him as a receiver even the running backs need to figure out the chip situation because there's been some times that people have ran free i know in the opener more so than this game you know running backs just weren't scanning you know a to a to c gap a to d gap they were not going inside out and people were getting left out to dry and and god forbid if if Jericho goes out we're going to be in t- we're going to be in tough shape because he's pretty much running the show on offense and they'll figure it out though. I, I just feel like we're, we're at a point where if Halfley can whittle down the defense like that, I feel like he's going to have a conversation with coach Signetti. Maybe there's too many concepts in there. Maybe they're asking too much of other linemen and 
you know, dealt with the NFL for so long. Maybe he's just asking too much out of these kids that NFL linemen can do and that we just simply can't. Yeah. So we know you're a huge proponent, Sean, of kind of, you know, the anything can happen in an opener mindset and the idea that, you know, before teams have a lot of film and or don't know what we're going to throw at them, that's a huge, you know, card for us to have in the back pocket. Uh, obviously, we're three games in now. First of all, is that, you know, enough now for opposing teams to essentially, you know, have a good read on us going forward? And then from that, is that any point of concern that either the offense or this defense will come back to earth now that teams have said, all right, now we actually see what Halfley's running on defense. We see what type of offense they're running. Is that something that you have any concerns of of opposing teams attacking going forward? I think, I think uh, you know, speaking from a defensive point of view, I don't foresee that as being a problem just because – of the staff around him. I mean, Coach Huffley in and of itself is just such a great defensive mind. And you can't make it to, you know, the college football playoff being one-dimensional and not having a defense that is switching up stuff all the time. Granted, the personnel is different. But I believe in the staff that they are, you know, creative enough and have enough experience up and down the line that they're going to, you know, just Duggan himself. That, you know, Coach Duggan, he, he can literally – totally change up defenses and run different things out of different packages and, you know, just really simplify the language. And, you know, one defense that he's going to be running, it it looks relatively the same, but it might be out of a different front or someone else pressuring or, you know, something triggers something different with all the same language. And I'm very confident, you know, not even Coach Halfley, but, you know, Coach Doug in that. He's been around two great coordinators now with Don Brown and uh, Halfley that maybe he can sprinkle a little bit of both into it because Duggan knows how to have an expansive playbook while keeping um, the terminology relatively the same. Offensively, I don't – so I don't think – so defensively, I don't think it's going to matter that we have a three-game sample size. The only thing that's going to happen is there's going to be tendencies and what pressures we – bring on certain downs and whatnot, but that's, I mean, we have uh, data and we have analytics too. We know we bring on certain downs. We know the percentage of five-man pressures we bring on third and five, third and 10, third and 15. So we have that too. So it's just, you just got to keep them guessing. Offensively, now they have the same thing. They have a tendency chart. They know what we run on first and 10s. They know what we like to run on, you know, first and 15s. They know like what we like to run after penalties. They know when we like to take shots, but just like anything, I mean, they get paid co- to coach too. So we should be okay. I just would like to see more fundamentals and less mistakes just on base type things, you know, just straight outside zone on offense. Just people are just running free and just getting cut loose. No one's really rocking off the ball because, you know, if you think you stink out there, I mean, if you're sitting there in your stance and something happened, you know, one guy rolls up and whatnot, you don't know who to block. You know, you're you're a step slow, and then you don't end up blocking anyone. You know, the biggest thing is if you're unsure of yourself, that's the worst place to be. If you think you stink, I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna start using. That. I think that was that was our problem last year. I think we we're overthinking everything. I'm also just gonna wager a bet here quickly. I'm gonna wager a bet here quickly that our data and analytics department is a little bit larger this year than it was maybe over the previous seven years. I get the feeling that Steve Adazio is, is not exactly the biggest believer in uh, in the science behind football. I'll just say that much. Uh, he had some great coordinators. Leave him alone. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure Campanelli and Don Brown were doing all the right things. So Don Brown, uh, I can speak for Don. Don definitely definitely had all the numbers. 
on what teams ran what out of certain packages at what point in games, certain down distances. We knew all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We were very prepared defensively. Offensively, I don't know what was going on over there. But <laughs> it's first down, run it. It's second defense. down, run it. It's yeah. third down, run it. That's all you all need right. to know. Uh, hey, well, we could use some of that this season. Anyway, <laughs> we're running out of show here. Let's get into the pit preview. Speaking of opponent scouting, um, I'll give a quick blurb on Pitt. Pitt comes into Chestnut Hill at 3-1 and one this year. They kicked off the season with wins over Austin P, Syracuse, and Louisville. That got them all sorts of hype as a potential ACC contender. Got them uh, into the top 25. And then last week, NC State beat them at home as two touchdown dogs in the final minutes. So they're coming in, uh, licking their wounds a little bit. It's sort of an unconventional matchup this year for a pair of Big East rivals. Neither team has run the ball effectively to date, which is uh, unusual, um, and instead relied on their passing games. Kenny Pickett, uh, who has been at Pitt, I think, for at least a decade. Correct. He's the Carl Krauser of the football team, I would say. <laughs> uh, he's second in the ACC, <laughs> only behind Trevor Lawrence, averaging 280 yards per game, um, while our guy Jerkovich is right behind him at 274. They have a couple of explosive wideouts, DJ Turner and Jordan Addison. They've carried the load on offense. They have a running back that's struggling like ours, Vincent Davis, uh, who has just 3.4 yards per carry. Defensively, they're extremely strong. They uh, they lead the country in sacks with 19 through four games. Um, they completely exposed Louisville's offensive line with seven alone in that game. They have a pair of really good DNs, a good D tackle um, that are probably licking their chops with what they're seeing on the film uh, to date. Most importantly, we have a ton of pit connections uh, on this coaching staff and roster. Uh, we all know that half coached there for five years in the late 2000s under Dave Wanstead. Frank Signetti was offensive coordinator there in 2009-2010. And then obviously Phil Dracovich grew up in Pittsburgh. And his school, Pine Rich- Richland, is a half hour down the road from Hyde's Field. Matt, thoughts on the game? What are you thinking? Uh, do you like the matchup? How is this going to look different or similar to, to UNC? And then we'll uh, we'll get Sean thoughts as well. So two things. One, I saw a tweet. Uh, earlier today that said something from a from a pit fan that basically said oh you know what if, if if halfley has a couple you know seven plus win seasons at bc like i definitely think we should try to get him at at pit which is just like this this level of delusion that i think is is beyond even what you and i normally share so special stuff out of their fan base there and then matt honestly my analysis is gonna be pretty quick we beat them by a touchdown last year we are significantly better than last year we're at home I'll save my my actual score predictions, but but frankly, uh, you know how I feel about coastal opponents, UNC notwithstanding. Uh, I have a very high level of confidence going into uh, Saturday afternoon. Sean, thoughts on the game? I I just think we just have to control the line of scrimmage. Though so, I mean, I watched. I I just think looking at a very small sample size that Pittsburgh's D is very very comparable to North Carolina. They love to attack. Uh, their defensive line, if I remember, is ridiculous. Um, they really get after it. They really, really like to confuse the people up front, which could get a little bit, little interesting, giving uh, you know our success rate with how we handle defensive line pressure and different combinations. Um, you know, but I think we can definitely expose them on the back end. Just get some guys in space. Get Zay in space. I'm really, really waiting for that Jalen Gill to maybe get something vertical. You know, we we just need to stretch the field like we have been and get Hunter Long, just like Dinkin and Duncan. Um, but with an aggressive uh, scheme like that, we definitely need to get our run game going. Um, if we can catch him in something and catch him in a blitz, uh, you know, maybe in the backside or something, we can get some numbers. Um, we can run the ball. Uh, we can control the ball because we have to have a great time of possession because that 
quarterback that they have is is legit and can put up some points really really quickly defensively. I think I think we're going to be fine because they're very very similar to kind of how we play. They don't block real well up front, and if we can expose them over there, maybe get some turnovers, um, it'd be really beneficial. It's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting game. I really don't know how we're gonna attack them, so we'll see. Yeah, I think it's a good point too. I mean, obviously Hunter Long has been outstanding to date. Um, and I think it's going to be a really good matchup, our throw game uh, versus their secondary. Paris Ford's another name. Um, I think he was he was getting some All-American consideration, but they're, they're considered to have one of the top secondaries in the country as well, in addition to getting pressure up front. So I think that's what makes them so good is, is that combination. Um, so I think in the passing game, Jericho's going to have his work cut out for him, and I think a number two option's going to have to emerge. And, you know, Zay's been relatively quiet after that first week. You know, he's been, he's been solid, but... Um, you know, we, we really need that third option. Maybe it's Gill, maybe it's, you know, CJ Lewis obviously had a couple big catches. For me, it's just, I feel great about this game if we have any semblance of a running game. And I hate to beat a dead horse here, but, um, you know, we remember the absolute clinic that the offensive line and Dylan put on last year. I just, I don't have a lot of faith that, you know, we're going to do, <laughs> we're going to do much in the way of adjustments. So, you know, our, our offensive line's not going to all of a sudden figure it out, and Bailey's not going to all of a sudden rush for 150, 50 yards. Um, so I am concerned on that side of the football. You know, I, it seems to me that Jericho has, has played out of his mind and has bailed us out of some tough situations. So we can rely on that, or we can kind of play team football the way we're, you know, BC has always done it with a strong O line, a running game, and then that opens up the passing game as opposed to just throw it, see what happens type of thing. I will say this. I think that, I think that, you know, you mentioned all the connections earlier. I, I know it's different than if we had a full stadium or, you know, even if this game was on the road, but I just, I, I feel like from a human nature perspective, whether it's Jerkovich, I'm sure he knows a lot of guys that are now playing at Pitt um, or at least, you know, has, has family that is, you know, fans of Pitt or something like that. And same with Hathley. He has a lot of roots there as well. I just feel like there's an extra edge there and I want to make sure we're not discounting the X factor um, I know that, you know, again, there could be a lot of concerns on, on paper, but I, I'm sorry. I just don't see any way in which we, in which we lose this game, frankly. That's my, that's, that's about where my analysis is going to, uh, is going to end. For this I, one. I love the confidence, but I can, I can think of ways that we can lose the game, but we just need to, we just need to figure out how to put them in, in, you know, get them off schedule, get that mm-hmm. quarterback off schedule, get that offense off schedule, um, you know, get some second and tens, get some second and twelves. Um, you know, third and third and longs, you know, try to keep them out of third and manageable, get off the field and let our offense work. The longer that defense is on the field, the more we can figure them out, the more we can attack what they're doing wrong. All it takes is a couple shots. You know, the defense messes up a couple times, we can put points on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, versus the other way around, the defense can, you know, can, you know, maybe lose the edge or something like that, and we can live the seat another day. Like they're not gonna you know, they're not going to kill us that way. I just feel we need to get on, we need to get on them early and go ahead and just keep the foot on the pedal. I, I just, I would like to run the ball better. I mean, Levy and Bailey, they can run for 200 yards. I mean, they, they can run a hundred yards a piece. I mean, it's, they can do it. We have the personnel to run the ball. It's just the scheme right now is just not matching up with success. And I think we may be in the zone blocking scheme, a little thinking too much. And we're just not playing confident and not playing fast and physical because there's not a second guy to block. You, you don't know that you're just blocking down because it's a zone scheme. You don't know when you're chipping off. And it, I just feel like the guys, if they're doing that, they're just like, you're thinking too much. And then, you know, guys, we're just getting eaten alive. But if we can figure that out and put ourselves in 
second and fives and you know second and fours and just stay on script then there there really is no way that they're going to beat us if we can just play really good complimentary football don't turn the ball over but you have we have to i repeat have to not get field goals in the red zone we have to get six in the red zone it's just the way it is mm-hmm. we're not going to win this game we're not going to win this game putting a bunch of threes up getting to the 10 15 yard line putting a nice drive together and then stalling because we just can't impose our will and get three to four yards at a time from five and in or ten and in. It's it's never been our identity. Like it's never been not our, our identity to go in there and punch people in the mouth. And we're getting a little too cute sometimes. And I, you saw it in the you saw it in the North Carolina game. I mean, for once our O line caved down there. D line. If you if Jericho just left the ball in his belly, we'd have walked in the end zone. <laughs> right. Yep, on that two-point uh, conversion, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, just, so I'm sitting there, and it's just like we never, you know, not just line up across the ball and just say, okay, here we go. It's us against you guys, and we don't need to get cute there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are fully capable of going in there and punching them in the mouth, and I fully expect that to happen. And I, in halfway, two days, had our team ready to go. So I think it's going to be an interesting one. All right, before we get your prediction, real quick, based on what you've seen through the first three games – how has that changed your feeling on the rest of the season? Are you more optimistic than you were? Are you kind of about on pace? What are you feeling for the uh, for the remainder of the season here? I'm about on pace. I think I said, what, eight, nine wins? Yep. I think I said about eight. Yeah, I think we're on pace. You know, I, I look at the schedule. I mean, Florida State's not what it used to be. I think we go into Florida State and put a beating on them. I don't think um, we've had – do we not have Florida yeah. State? Yeah, we don't have Florida yeah, State always, this year. We always miss them at the worst times. Right. Oh, we miss them? Yeah, because yeah. the whole shuffle. Um, Oh, the shot. okay, gotcha, gotcha. I just think we, I, I just think every game we're, we're just more prepared. Uh, I think we're right on pace, though. I think eight wins is right where we're going to be. Last, I mean, if I were, if I were, were to go back and look at UNC, I would have called that even a loss. I think in my other, you know, that was a 50 50 game, but we were a lot closer. And I feel like the guys know that, okay, now we can play with these guys. And maybe they just didn't have the confidence to be like, okay, this is our first big test. We're feeling them out. Oh shit! Like, you know, oh, we can play with these guys. You know, it's just like, I think they just need the confidence because you know Duke was great, but we know what Duke is now. They're garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas State, they're going to have like a bunch of athletes that can run. You know that that are all under the radar. That game scared me from the jump, but with UNC, with a you know organized coach, with a great quarterback, one of the best in the ACC. Good receivers, you know, decent. I, I think that we matched up really well with them. It, that we lost that we we lost that game right. for ourselves. There was so many times we could have won that game. That one drive where we had three, two fifteen-yard penalties or three, three, we just, three in was, a row. Yeah, that, I mean that's 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 unacceptable. You just can't win that way. And to have us still in the game with a two-point conversion, like as an opportunity to go ahead and tie. That says a lot about the coaching staff and a lot about even the guys that they they're pretty resilient and they let up some pretty bone breaking plays that would totally get a lot of other teams like completely out of the picture just to just to kind of weather that storm and be in the game and in the conversation at the end. So it's a lot about the guys. So I just think I think we're right at eight wins. I would be I would be very very. I'm very disappointed with seven, but it would disappoint me to get seven. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I agree. Again, with 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 the eleven game regular season too, I think I'm I'm still staring at nine and two. I think we only have one last on the count, one loss left on the calendar. But 
So that's undefeated outside of Clemson. Well, so we're going to shock one of Clemson or Notre Dame. I don't know which one. Is it even a shock of Notre Dame? I, yeah. They're, they're a fraud I mean, we can talk about itself. This. Yeah, I don't, we, we'll, we'll, we're running long. We'll talk so about this <laughs> next week, but our schedule, I mean, Virginia Tech looks good. Notre Dame, I know we hate them, but they, I mean, they're solid. We, we play a lot of good teams. But, you know, you know Pitt's, Pitt looks good despite the, the uh, you know, the NC State loss. Um, so, I don't know. There's a lot of tough teams. And remember, this is this is year zero, guys. So, you know, if if they get seven wins, seven and four in an all ACC all ACC slate, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good result. So so uh, so we'll take that. Just to bring it back to Pitt and close out the show here, um, like I was saying, I'll, I'll kick it off my, with my prediction. We'll go around the horn. I like this matchup defensively. I think we can hold them under twenty points. I think we can cover the spread. If you're betting, I'd absolutely. It's up to six and a half, which to me mm-hmm. is is insane. Six and a half today, yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, but this offense, like I keep saying, they're going to have to figure it out. It can't just be the Dracovic show, the show because you know teams are going to figure out how to game plan against that. We need 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 to develop a run game. If we do that, Eags by a billion. If not, I'm still picking the Eags. Uh, I got a, a a barn burner, eighteen to thirteen. Eags win, and we're on to Vatek. Jeez, that's like a Chris Berman score, eighteen to thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on there? There's a safety, I think. Safety, I think. Yeah. Um, all right. I mean, I'm keeping it similar on the defensive side of the ball. I think we keep them to a very low number, but I have a lot more confidence in our offense. Again, we put up 26 on these guys last year, and I know that it's a different style of football completely, and the transitive property doesn't really work. But overall, I'm going to say we go call it 36 to call it 17. 36-17 Eagles. Wow. Comfortable win. Like that. I like that comfortable win. Get the victory formation out yep. there. It's beautiful. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna go ahead because of just. I did not know their secondary was as good. Uh, you know, preseason wise, uh, I just saw with my own eyes their D line is pretty ferocious and they do get a lot of pressure. I don't. I don't know if that's good or bad for Jericho because it seems like he's pretty slippery and if he gets out of pressure, there's a lot more void to, for him to throw or run. I just hope he doesn't, in front of the home crowd, try to put on too much of a show and try to do too much. I hope he stays within himself. Um, but I feel like this offense has been pretty methodical all year. I think I'm going to go 28-24 Eagles. I, our defense, I think, is going to start slow again. I hope I'm wrong. And quote me, I hope I'm wrong there. I just think that we're going to be feeling them out too much and then really settle in after maybe, you know, three or four drives. Um, and then we'll see what happens on offense. But I think I, I just hope that we can get maybe um, I'm actually maybe predicting here and I'll, and I'll put it out there. I'm, I hope we get a punt return touchdown this week. Wow. Oh, Jalen Gill. Yes. I think he's yes. returning punts now. There you go. Yes. Yeah, so I just hope, I just hope that, you know, because of offense and defense, I mean, we're right there with everybody. I think to really, really put these teams away, we really have to control the, ne- the other third of the game. Mm-hmm. We've been pretty, pretty. I mean, the kicking game has been awesome. Uh, the as far as the punt's, field goals, been solid too. He's been he's been flipping the, punt's the field. Been pretty, the punt's been pretty good. I, I just think that you know if we can just if we can punch in a, a punt return. That'll totally switch the game on its head, and maybe we can open the floodgates just getting something going there. So mm-hmm. I'm going to predict a punt return touchdown. I love it. We'll, yeah. have to, we'll have to check that online and see what the uh, prop odds for that are. I feel like we can get pretty rich on is, Saturday. Yeah. I wonder we'll what we'll have to take a look. Um, 
All right, well, I'll take it. Look, three three Eagle wins, albeit different levels of comfort, but that's that's good enough for yeah. me. That'll that'll make for a good Saturday. Sean, thanks again as always for joining us. This yeah. this insight is is unparalleled. So we'll definitely have to uh, continue to have you back throughout the rest of the way. No, I appreciate you guys. I love doing. I love, I love talking the Eagles and just talking football with you guys. You don't give you guys enough credit. You don't give yourself enough credit. You guys know what you're talking about. And, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure. All right, thanks again for listening. Hopefully another great Eagle victory to, to cap off another perfect fall weekend. Matt, we didn't talk about the weather, but let me just let me just note quickly that for, for mid-October, this is absolutely gorgeous. It's going to be warmer than last week. It's going to be around 70s, uh, so it should be an absolutely awesome day in Chestnut Hill, all capped off with a BC win in the late afternoon. Thanks again to our sponsors, all of them, Eagles, Eagle Insider, Armchair, Bet Online, Manscaped, Kind of all the uh, all the good stuff you need to get yourself ready for game day. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fourth and Dude. Matt, we're going to be together this weekend at a little Fourth and Dude retreat, socially distanced. Everyone's been safe and getting tested and, and quarantining and doing all that good stuff. So uh, we'll be together. We'll be putting out some good content on the Twitter and the gram. It's our chief legal officer's thirtieth birthday, so we're we're yep. throwing him. He's throwing himself yep. a nice little. Party He's throwing himself there, a birthday, but again, everyone has been very safe, and we're we're doing it the right way. So please continue to do that, so that we have football throughout the entire year. Keep an eye out for the Halfly Hour, our live pregame show coming back on Saturday. It will be live from upstate New York. So should be a good time by all. Matt, anything else to, to end with or are we still on the road to uh, to nine and two? No, I just it goes back to this just being a massive game, right? This is I don't want to say must win. It's only game four. Um, but two and two and three and one are a heck of a lot different. Um, and I think we'll know what we have I don't. I still don't think we know what we have at this point. I think we'll know a little bit more uh, where we stand on, on on Saturday and what the rest of the season's going to look like. So, must win, go Eagles, um, and uh, let's see. Let's see if the, the 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 half man can keep it going. Matt, I'll just. I want to end with this now, and on on top of our normal closing, it feels like 1940, folks. I think we're going to get that one. I think that we're going to get that one cooking. Get in, folks. <laughs> 